Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented by the Real Football Tonight YouTube channel and the Football Tonight Podcast. We are recording this on Sunday, February 4th at 4.49 Pacific. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, there are lots and lots of lots of goals everywhere, specifically in Newcastle. Man United might not suck, and we'll go through every club's results over the last two weeks. But first, Arsenal take their title tilt versus Liverpool in North London 3-1 in a massive, massive result for the title race. Before we do that, please like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. We need you all. We want you all. I'm checking if we're running on YouTube because you are the most important thing and we need you folks to be here so that we can just get everything going. So the show's running. I'm here. I'm going to grab some stats and we're going to go through it together. Um, Just before I get that going, you know, I really do think about... um, I really do think about football as a whole and what it means for results, for the moment, for everything that's going on. I can see that my show can be heard. That's important. Um, And I just really am so happy that Liverpool won this game because, I mean, sorry, that Arsenal won this game because I was worried that we'd end up in the same narrative of City versus Liverpool and Klopp's moment and all that stuff. But having the three teams, having Arsenal get this win 3-1, having Liverpool sort of living off the emotion of Klopp leaving that I think I talked about a little bit, but maybe I will go through. I did talk about it last week. Having the emotion of Klopp leaving, uh, but that high of Klopp leaving sort of coming down a little bit. And I think that it's good that we have a title race we have an arsenal showing real metal real guile real commitment to the cause uh an emirates that is that can rival liverpool that can rival st james's park that can rival kenilworth road that we have a lot of intense real football going on in many different places and it's the things that really can make the premier league function as you'd expect it great great okay thank you thank you chris for checking in you can't hear me that's great thanks brother um but i'm glad you're watching or or checking in but that it that we have these games and we have these matches and we have a narrative and we have three teams we have city who are there trying to do the impossible to win four leagues in a row with this assumption that they'll do what they always do which is find a gear find a level that allows them to do what they've done we expect them to win 10 in a row we expect them to go down the stretch and win everything now just because we expect them to do it doesn't mean they can do it uh it does mean that we have to see if they can do it it doesn't mean that they can't do it it just means that just because you've done it before in the past with lots of luck doesn't mean you can't you you can do it again you actually have to go and do the damn thing and so we are expecting to see that from hey lewis it's good to see you brother uh appreciate you showing up um we won't the less we talk about that Luton game the better no no i'm gonna go through all the games and all the matches um but um i think it's key 
And um, I think it's important. Uh, I watched this game. I enjoyed the game. I really liked what I saw from Arsenal in the first half. Um, really, the Havertz thing worked this time. He played a false nine. No Jesus. And Arsenal sort of went with an extra midfielder to help Declan Rice. I think that's what we wanted to see if you're an Arsenal fan. Hey, where's that control that we can have? And Jorginho was really good because he didn't have to do the physical work that he normally does that makes him a liability defensively. He could be the ball player. He could be the one controlling the ball. He could be making those forward passes without having to do the physicality of the work that Declan Rice does. So I think that combination was really good. We saw Saka and Martinelli back doing what they do, really bossing things, really having uh, <laughs> a great time. Yes, Lewis, the best game, in my in your opinion, was that game, except Luton just doesn't have the cachet <laughs> that uh, Liverpool and, uh, and Arsenal have. So uh, we have to go through this free game first, and then we'll talk about everything else. Um, but I really thought it was a fantastic result and a, a really poor Liverpool performance, to be frank. We saw the two pillars that I think are the defensive stalwarts that have made Liverpool the best defense in the league. And over this four or five year period, when Liverpool are at their best, the reason they are the best is because of Van Dyke's relationship with Allison and Allison's relationship with Van Dyke. Those two together hold the whole Liverpool thing together. And in this game, they are really the liability for two goals. Uh, the first goal, Van Dyke stepping up, leaving space in behind, people running through. Uh, Allison making one save on Havertz, but then unable to make the second. And then the other one being the sec, the, the third, the second goal, um, the second goal where Allison and Van Dyke are together and make a mistake. And even in the third goal, Allison just getting beaten a near post. This was a howler for Allison. And Allison, you guys know, I loathe. Because he saves Liverpool's ass so often when they play that high line and teams run in behind. But this time, he was the liability. He's the reason they lost, in a way. Uh, and they just didn't create enough. And they really didn't really do anything, to be fair. And, and when I look at the stats, I know it's going to tell me that nothing good happened in this game. So let's go to the stats. Uh, because, you know, I'm a stat head. Uh, I like the stats. I like it. I like it. Me, me, my numbers. And so we see here, no stat. Oh no, here we go. Here, here's the stats. You know, the red card late didn't really affect the game, but just in terms of, you know, your 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 momentum thing, you can see here. First half is really all Arsenal. They get their goals here. Second half, there's a there's an early push, and then there's a little bit of a Liverpool moment. But really, this is all. This is all Arsenal. I mean, look at this. Look at these numbers. Expected goals through the roofs. Only one shot on target for Liverpool. This is... I'm sure Liverpool fans will admit this. Probably their worst performance of the season. And I thought that ultimately Arsenal were able to be a bit more pragmatic, a bit more controlled, and not feeling like they had to go hell for leather this whole game to try and show how good a footballing side they are. Um but were able to control the game and just sort of be there, um, just sort of let the game come to them rather than trying to overdo it and, and be so, so beautiful. It was much more pragmatic. It was sort of like they learned something. They were like, hey, let's just get our goals, see how this thing goes, and win the game properly. And they did that, and I think that 
for Arsenal. This is a massive statement. Now, is it something... They have to do it again. They'll have to prove it again. This is a massive statement. It brings the top three within two points of each other, assuming that um, City win their game tomorrow. But everything gets much, much, much tighter. And I really love that we're in this place. Um, I really love that, you know, Arsenal showed up and really beat a very good Liverpool. Now, to be fair to Liverpool, Darwin Nunez is out, no Salah, the midfield was a little bit weak. They just, things were not right for them. But I think, ultimately, they played badly. Uh, And I think Liverpool fans will admit this. There were games earlier this season that Liverpool played badly and got away with it. And this is the one game where they played badly and didn't. Uh, A lot of games, they might have drawn this game 1-1, especially away from home. Liverpool would get really good Allison saves at key moments. That scruffy goal from Diaz might be the difference. They get a clean sheet, get out of there 1-1 and be like, oh my God, thank God. But this time the luck wasn't with them. Um, and they weren't able to pull it out. I'm not saying they're lucky. I'm just saying that this season there have been results. When you only have one loss, and that loss was because of an offside and a red card you shouldn't have got, good things happen to you. So this is just one of those where it didn't go their way, they played badly, and they weren't able to scratch something out of it. The result is fair. I don't think Liverpool were ever winning this game in any way, shape, or form. The 1-0 that Liverpool, the the goal that they got was a lucky goal. Saliba lost his mind for a second there, and and Raya didn't come out. Just not a lot happened for Liverpool today, and the midfield just didn't have it. Um, I just didn't see the Liverpool we expect. And I think that there is a possibility that the emotion of this Klopp thing, especially after last week's midweek game, and we'll go through all the games that have happened in the the last two days— Maybe there's an emotional hangover of, oh my God, we we have this thing and now we have this thing and we we have to go again. And maybe it just wasn't there. Maybe there was just too much emotion for this. And maybe there was that emotion got transferred to Arsenal and there was a sense of urgency from Arsenal that we don't see on a regular basis. And I think that this time it, they didn't tighten up. It wasn't squeaky bum time. They didn't tighten up. They actually pre- were able to perform and we saw the best of Arsenal today in terms of their defensiveness, in terms of how they press, in terms of the triggers. It's such a complicated system that Arsenal play. Uh, High lines, man-to-man, they'll switch, they'll change. And they kept Liverpool confused the whole time. Uh, I have to go and through all my tactical nerd bowls uh, to see uh, all the different things that they did. But you can tell, you know, where they are and and how how they're playing right now. And it's just been a much stronger, more forceful arsenal that we're seeing that they can control games uh martinelli and saka obviously the best there we're seeing um you know this is a game that i i would think from liverpool's perspective they needed their match winner right they didn't have salah to go in here and really change this game and make a difference for them i think these are those moments where they rely on salah to to create the moments they need to kind of win a game like this. And without him, you know, Jota, there's a reason he hasn't been starting. He's a great player. He's an all-timer. He's a goal scorer. He does all these things. But there there are players that you need in these moments to change games for you. And I think, you know, Arsenal runs their, their group out there all the time. 
And I think, you know, ultimately they didn't have that player today. And so Liverpool, still top of the league. They could absorb a hit like this. But we're seeing if you, we, we go to the table now, you know, if it's over here on the side here, we look on the table. Arsenal on Liverpool on 51 after 23 games. Arsenal on 49 after 23 games. City on 46 after 21. So they have two games in hand. They play tomorrow along with Aston Villa on 46. So it's very tight. I mean, even Tottenham, to be fair, are not out of this on 44. They'd need a lot to go right, but a lot to go right for them is is really interesting. Okay. Um, I do want to, uh, as I promised at the top of the show, before I – what I'm going to do is – so just to tell you guys what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to go through the table, and because we had midweek games, I want to go through the table and just go through the two games for each team and kind of talk through those things. So as I work down the table, we'll start with Liverpool's midweek game, and then we'll go to Arsenal. We'll just work down the table and go through things. We will cover the Luton um, the Luton. Newcastle game, and then I'll talk about Luton as we get down the table. So I'm just going to work down the whole table, look at the two results for each team this week, and then work through that way. So uh, we talked at the top about this Liverpool game, and now I'm just going to go through the entire table as we go through it so we can hear and talk through everything that happened. Um, I just wanted to cover off this game, and then as we go through, we'll talk through all the games that have gone on. So bear with me as we start through it. Uh, I'm going to start with Liverpool. Obviously, they are top of the league. We'll go back, look at the table here, uh, and 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 work from there. Okay, sound good. Sound good. Okay. So uh, as I think about it, Liverpool had their had their midweek game, and going into this Arsenal game, they were on the high of um, they were on the high of the. Um, Klopp announcement, and they had their best game of the season, honestly. This 4-1 versus Chelsea completely annihilate them. Chelsea in complete disarray, nothing working for them, nothing happened. This is an, a, a complete total and domination, and I think what we got out of this game, the narrative shift for Liverpool was, oh my God, they're going to be galvanized. They're in for a quadruple, not the quadruple, because they're in the Europa League. Um, and what can Chelsea do? What can Liverpool do throughout this season? What will it mean? You know, we had all the group together, Slobozai. We had the kid Bradley getting his goal and his father passing away later. So that was that narrative shift then into the Arsenal game where we just talked about them losing 1-2-0. Okay, now, for Arsenal, they came off uh, a win at Forest. A sort of relatively tough win where they had to be patient. Didn't get their goal until 65 with Saka. And then they had a little bit of a panic there with Owen-E scoring a goal on 89. But this was a, again, total domination, controlled performance. Not a lot of chances, only three shots on target. But this was Arsenal riding the ship after their difficult period where they knew they had Liverpool coming up. And they had to win this game, uh, you know, had to win this game away at a tough ground with Forrest. They get their win, Jesus, Saka on point, and then they go into this Liverpool game where they are. So now we've changed the narrative of Arsenal are bottling it to now they're in, now they're in control, now they're moving things along. 
We like where they are. I think ultimately for Arsenal, and we saw that in the game today, they, that striker thing is really a problem. Um, they're the one team out of this top group that does not have a reliable player in the box. It's not whether they can score goals. It's whether there is someone who sniffs goals. Like we can see they are scoring goals, 47 goals. Uh, they're the lowest of the group at the top. But they need someone who's naturally there. And I think Jesus, as much as I love him, he likes to wander. He doesn't stay in the box. If you think about great goal scorers, what they do is they stay in the box. They stay where goals happen. They're in that space so that anytime something ricochets, anytime there's a shot, they're there to put it in. And Arsenal don't have that. And so they always struggle to score goals. Uh, City are on a run of five unbeaten. They beat Burnley. Burnley are very hapless. Uh, this was all about Julian Alvarez scoring goals and an amazing free kick by um, amazing free kick play on the second goal for uh, uh, Alvarez that that Kevin De Bruyne just if you haven't seen it go look at this free kick routine it's freaking incredible um, Burnley did get a goal so City unable to clean, keep clean sheets this has been a regular occurrence this season but again complete dominance by City and the narrative for City right now is you know can they win all the games can they be that foil I think the thing that City play in these games or as the story is city other bad guy with a man with the black hat with a man with the black mustache where no personality no fans um, this isn't true i don't believe this no fans no personality we just go and we win like a machine and so when you're going up against a machine or a robot uh, the foibles of the human teams like Liverpool and its hugging Klopp machine and Arteta trying to push Arsenal over the line. City will be the foil by which those teams are measured, and that'll be the story. And City fans have to accept that until we have a bit more of a human interest team. And right now, we're still not that because as long as Klopp, as long as Pep is there, we're going to be a robot destroying machine of doom. Um, but City do play tomorrow. We play Brentford. Brentford last season, if you don't remember, actually defeated City two times. They were the one team to do the double against City. This is not an easy game for City at all, especially now that Tony's back. And I thought that Brentford had been playing well, uh, especially against that, that Spurs game that we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, this, was a diff this is a difficult game. And I think that City will have their hands full, especially at night, on the road, in London, City will have to maintain any drop points. Uh, then City will slide back in this group. And these are games in hand. So City's got to win this game in hand, keep the pressure going. And this is City's story. City will have to be the team that, um, that grab the title race in their hands and just drag it forward and keep that pressure going on Liverpool to be that foil, to be that man in black, to be that team that you hate, that you don't want to win because they ruin football or whatever we are to you city fill in the blank of what you don't like about football. And that's who we are. And that's okay because that means you're winning. If everyone hates you, it means you're winning. So I'll take the hate and we'll just keep going and try and destroy everyone else's soul as we continue through the season. 
Uh, Villa, I think Villa are an interesting. They had a little bit of a wobble. They'd lost that Christmas Boxing Day game that John was at, the 3-2 wild game. Then they sort of got themselves back together against Burnley. It was easy. The draw against Everton was a sort of surprise where you're like, oh, are Villa okay? Then the loss against Newcastle, which, to be fair, this was the reverse fixture of the first game of the season. You thought, oh, my God, what's wrong with Villa? Are they going to slide out of this thing? But then they had a good performance against Sheffield United. Really just five goals in the half. We saw all the things that have made uh, Villa who they are. Really a good bounce back that they can get their their narrative back together. Okay, we're Villa. This is how we play. We put our head up. You know, um, Watkins makes the run automatically in those diagonal runs. And everything looked like Villa. So, yes, Sheffield United are terrible and are definitely going to go down. But to score five goals and a half is really something that says Unai Emery's not messing around. He was super pumped about this game. Villa will be here, and they do have Man United again. I think they're going to smell blood and be like, oh, now we're in my house. We're going to take it to you. But uh, they did have a wobble, uh, having lost two and drawn through in their last five. But getting back in their winning ways, trying to stay in that top four. They're, they're within a shout. They're one of the stronger teams in the group, but they've got to keep on winning because Spurs are there. United will get to, uh, it's really a big moment for them where they've got to lift themselves up and keep going. Um, Spurs had a really good win against Brentford, the 3-2, with a little bit of shithousery. I loved the midweek game. I loved Mope. I loved the Tony both doing the, the darts move. We saw Madison. We saw a lot in this game. This was a great game midweek if you didn't catch it. Udogi early. Um, Mount, uh, Brentford went up. That's when Mope started the shit housing. Then second half, just Spurs blew them away. The two goals on 48 and 49 with pace and speed. Richarlison scoring another nice goal. And then Tony pulling wing back to make this game a bit of a fight. More dart action, a lot of shit housing, a lot of trouble. I really like Spurs. I really like Brentford. This was a fantastic game uh, that Spurs really needed and should feel fantastic about. Um, no injuries, so a good, nice, clean performance. Another goal for Richarlison. He is on fire right now. I believe he has 10 goals in the league now. Uh, and one of the things to keep an eye on for him is this. Richarlison has changed the way he shoots. As long as he shoots on his first or second touch, that is the key to him. If he takes more than two touches when he gets a ball before he shoots, he's going to miss. The goal for him, the thing that he's been doing, and we'll talk about the next game, is he's been shooting first time or after the first touch. Shooting early is indicative of guys who score goals. The more touches you take, the less chance you're going to score. Look at him juxtaposed with Havertz. Whenever Havertz gets the ball, he touches it three times, four times, and he misses. Get Shoot with as few touches as possible. That's what Erling Holland does, and he led the league in goals. So big thing to watch for. How many touches did your striker take before they shoot? And then in this week's game, these are the two goals that I talked about Richarlison. This 2-2, two -two, uh, Richarlison scoring both goals. They get the early goal. They're up. It's 1-1. It's then they're up 2-1, controlling this game. And this is the bugaboo of Spurs. They cannot control games. Um, this was Vicario's first really bad game. He had been their best 
player most of the season, but it looks like Dyche and his team thought, you know what? This guy's slight. He's having a hard time with corners, and every single corner set piece that Everton got, they put the ball under the crossbar, and Giglio and, and Vicario had a hard time. He's a skinny goalkeeper. He's good at moving, and he is athletic, but he was getting bullied by the defenders, and Everton showed um, Vicario what English football is really like. They did English football, crosses, set pieces, bodies on the line, pushing him, hitting him, and Vicario actually had a hard time. And both the goals that um, Everton scored were on corners and set pieces, Harrison on 30, and then late, 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 the late show, uh, Spurs having a hard time, have given up eight goals in later than the 90th in late in, in extra time this season to to drop points. Spurs have to learn how to control games. What Spurs remind me of right now, and if you remember and you go back, reminds me of Salah's first season, the crazy Liverpool when they would go up and down and lose games in 3-3 and 5-4 when they still had Mignolet in goal before they got Van Dijk where it was up and down and they couldn't control anything. And then the season later, when they got Thiago and they started controlling things and they were less interesting but could win games 2-0, that's where Spurs are right now. They've got to get out of this madness attitude. And I understand right now do it because you don't have the players. But once you do, you've got to learn how to control games because trying to win games 3-2, 3-1, and going for more goals is going to hurt Spurs in the long run. They should never have lost this game, and they did. Find the Harrison goal. You can't give up nine, You can't give up corners on 94. That foul was completely unnecessary. Tot Everton should have never been in that position, and I think ultimately Spurs will only go as far as they can control games, and until they can control games, they're going to be up and down. Now, they will have great games. I love watching them. They're fantastic, but until they can control games... Spurs will be where they are, and it's been great so far. But like I said, they must learn control. They need a little help from Yoda. On the Everton side, we'll get to Everton when I get further down into the system because I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, Lewis, I, I agree. To be fair, Newcastle beat Aston Villa. That was a huge three-point uh, game. And then the other one, when Newcastle played Villa away, it was a stupid kickoff time on a Tuesday night. How the hell do you even care about fans going back to work when they, <laughs> the next day? You don't care. It's for the TV. <laughs> uh, I think sometimes, not sometimes, the crowds in England are not thought about when there's midweek games. Uh, the product at this point for the Premier League especially is a TV product. Now, the fans do provide a lot of value because what comes across the TV, even though I know they turn up the crowd noise, is this exciting game that we all love with passion. And the away fans are part of that. But it's not, you're going to go anyway. You guys are trapped. You guys are the crackheads and the football is the crack. And you're just going to go no matter what. And until you stop going, they're going to keep doing those games. So uh, you can be like Germany and try and like really protest. But it feels like the TV and the league will keep putting these games on at different times until fans stop going. And unless and, and as long as you keep going, they're going to keep trying to abuse you. This is the American model of sport. Keep, keep boiling the frog, boiling the frog, boiling the frog. 
And if as long as the frog doesn't die, you just keep pouring more on. So it's very much a consumers, not supporters culture that's slowly seeping into the Premier League. And until the supporters, trusts, and all the unions of fans fight for it, you're just going to keep getting screwed like that. So that's just uh, my opinion on that uh, as we work through the rest of the divisions. I love doing this way because it gets me to talk about every single team uh, as much as you know, Chris has done a great job bringing the American Magpie channel uh, into this group, and I'm happy to be the sort of like a coverall team. Uh, I really enjoy doing these. So we had Villa, we had Tottenham. Now I'm going to go to United. Now, I said on this show that United would lose this Monday night game, this late game against Wolves, and they almost did. <laughs> But United have found the thing that was bothering me the most about them. They couldn't score. Now, all of a sudden, they're scoring. Uh, the Hoyland, Garnacho, Rashford thing works. They dealt with the Rashford drinking thing. It looks like Ten Hag brought him on side, and he has energy. But the fighting Gary O'Neills of, of, of Wolverhampton Wanderers really gave a lot of effort. And you can see by this score thing, I mean, this was a back-and-forth, up-and-down game. Second half was all Wolves. Wolves getting a goal, Sarabia, um, Kilman to make it 2-3, and they pulled it level 3-3 on 95, but not so fast. Kobe Minu, what a player United have found in this kid. Uh, just so united to keep their academy going. That's the one thing I do respect a lot about United. They do keep that streak of bringing kids through their academy, of bringing kids that are a through line that keep the fans on side. If you've read articles about United, this goes back to Nobby Styles. This goes back through the Munich air disaster. This is something that United has had an academy graduate in their 11 for something like 60, 70 years straight. Somebody who's a local lad who at least came up through the system before he was a teenager, has always played for Manchester United. McTominay was holding that. Rashford's been holding it. Now Mainu becomes another one of those players who holds that together. And what that does is it gives the United fans something that is special that they hold on to. It's like a a weak version of what uh, Athletic Bilbao does. It's not the same, but it's similar. Like as a Manchester kid, and Mainu's goal, if you haven't seen it, he cuts in, weaves through, takes a shot on 97. How bold, how amazing, how clinical to get that goal and then get the win for United. It was going to be another 3-3, what's wrong with United, they're doomed. But then it becomes something amazing. Uh, now we also have Hoyland is starting to score. He's getting better every week. This grouping, I really think this grouping is good. This four, this group right here, this is all of a sudden, all of a sudden you look at this lineup and it's a real lineup that works together. Varane, Dilo, Shaw, everything starts to click. And I have to say, as much as I've poo-pooed and crapped on United, this version with these players is a much stronger, cohesive group that works. And they get another good win today defeating a really game West Ham. They dominated them. They dominated them uh, today with Hoyland and Garnacho scoring too. I mean, Garnacho is like a shit version of, uh, of Cristiano. He's got swag. He has a thing. He has the thing you need, a fearlessness, an ability to continue, to go again, to never stop. Listen, West Ham clearly did some good things in this game, but when the moments mattered, United were the ones 
who had the finishing. This Rasmus Hoyland goal was fantastic. He cut in and takes a nice shot. Um, Garnachos are always exciting because he brings an energy and an effort and an effervescence and a joy to football that we all want and need, right? This was not a great performance by United. They actually got pretty battered, but they played on the break. Um, they played on the break mostly, and they were clinical. And at home, they can do that. Uh, they did lose Lissandro Martinez, which is sad because uh, he's so, so good. Um, you know, it's an interesting game. It's a fun game. Um, and I like where United are. I think, like I said before, United have played so bad. They're the worst big team in world football in terms of performances. But those are in the past. The points that they got are the points that they got. The draws that they got are the draws that they got. And, you know, as much as I talk about stats and underlying numbers and whatever, those are just directional. They simply just tell us this team has problems in these areas. But, like John says, the points are on the board. The results are there. Yes, they're a minus one. And everyone around them is plus 14, plus 15. That's that's irrelevant now. They've got the 12 wins, right? They still have a decent defense. It's within this Aston Villa, Tottenham, West Ham group of defense. It's those losses that they're shocking most of the time. And some of them are because they simply can't score. But if that front three of Hoyland, Garnacho, Rashford with Fernandez is going to be there where Fernandez does whatever he wants, I think that they can get moving. I think that they can look at the rest of the back half of the season and solidify this fifth or sixth place. It's going to be really hard to catch Spurs. I think Spurs are a class above, but they should really stick in this sixth spot. They're clearly better than West Ham. They're clearly better than Brighton. Uh, they're, they've got a five-point lead on Newcastle. It's going to be really hard. They'll finish six. It will happen. But for them, it's about how do they finish? How do they put this group together? What can they build on so that this team can feel good about where they are? Now, West Ham, a bit of a, a, a ropey ring of results. They got the good win against Arsenal at Christmas time, but then a nil-nil against uh, Brighton where you're like, eh, 2-2 against Sheffield. You should never draw with Sheffield. A draw against Bournemouth at home, and now this loss against um, uh, United. West Ham are a very tricky team to think about. On the one hand, they're playing where they should be. They're, you know, they they have a way to play. They have a style. They have kudos. They have a strong defense. Aguirre and Alvarez have been great. Bowen is great, but the style piece of it can make it really painful to watch when the results aren't there. And I think there's a there's a conflict within West Ham supporters in that do we want this? Do we want to finish three out of four seasons in the top 10 but sort of have shit games? We got a European trophy and have this style with Moyes? Or do we want to roll the dice, try and kick on within this sort of good group of players and find our own Deserby or find our own Gary O'Neill or find our own Pasta Coglu? Do we roll the dice and try and grab Graham Potter and see what happens with this team or do or is Potter more what happened at Chelsea or is he what happened at um, West Ham one of the things that I think is the most difficult thing to do in world football 
is to go from this middle group, your Wolves, Newcastle, Brighton, West Ham, Chelsea right now, or more of the Wolves, but Chelsea we know can spend their way through. How do you how do you progress? How do you break into the next group? It's really hard to get into this top class here. Aston Villa are, are, are sort of breaking the party. It requires one of the big clubs to really fall off. And I think with United, we can admit that it's been a tough season for them. So that decision and that cost and that idea of going from where you are as West Ham to where you're going to go is something they need to decide. And how do you pursue that? Do you just stay with someone like David Moyes and take the good with the bad and deal with this with the supporters being angry and deal with uh, things not feeling good or feeling like the way you want them? Or do you roll the dice and trying to go more progressive? That's something that West Ham fans have to think about and what they want to do. All right. So am I going too slow? It might be going too slow. But that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, maybe we'll just do the top 10. No, no, I'll keep going. For Brighton, my beloved Brighton, they get walloped midweek by Luton, and Luton have been one of the stories of the season, uh, just unable to handle the pressure, the energy, the fight at Kenilworth Road. Luton just came, saw Brighton, and said, you're soft, we're going to punch you in the mouth, and you can't deal with it. And that's what happened with Brighton. But Brighton did bounce back in their local derby to get a win against Brighton and Hove and Albion, and we do have a massive win just a great performance all around by my beloved secret side piece, Brighton Hove Albion. Dunk early, Hinchel Wood with an amazing header, then Buena Note, and then the best striker no one's heard of yet, Pedro. He'll be the next one to be sold. Uh, fantastic, fantastic goal by him uh, on the give and go with the venerable wall pass from Danny Welbeck. And Mateta get one late at 3 1, but uh, Palace, I think, really in bad shape. And I do want to make sure that I'm checking this. I think Roy Hodgson got fired. Is that true? I saw that, but I don't remember if he did indeed get fired. Uh, oh, they considered firing him. He has not been fired. So he's not been fired yet, but he will fire. They will fire him. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Roy Hodgson. I thought he had been fired, but I guess he did not get fired. But that's where they are, and that is just an incredible, incredible piece of performance. I still think Brighton sitting in eighth is good. They can still kick on. They're still within striking distance of the United-West Ham group, but uh, my prediction early in the year that they were going to finish in the top four is not looking good, <laughs> uh, although I still love them. Uh, have dealt with a lot of injuries. Now, my friends, now, my Newcastle friends, I'm here. I do agree we've got the burn-up deal all the way. Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about the beloved Newcastle. What a game. The 4-4 versus Luton. <laughs> what do you talk about? What do you say about that game? I mean, just bonkers. Uh, after beating Aston Villa 3-1, coming off the five losses in a row, I didn't think that they had it in them. But they were there. Fabian shares two goals, really good set-piece goals, and then Moreno scoring and getting the own goal late in the game. Watkins getting a consolation game. But again, running in behind, set-pieces, seeing all the fight that we expect uh, from um, 
from Newcastle. Bruno was the best player as usual. Young Miley still doing it. Really just a good performance. The only bad thing about this game was was Isaac had to go off, uh, and we're seeing a better version of Newcastle. Uh, still worried in defense. The 4-4 was absolutely bonkers. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good result or a bad result. Uh, it was good, bad, and everything in between um, because, you know, Newcastle were down two in this game. What, were they up two? No, it was, they were up one. They were down two, weren't they? They were down 2-1. I can't even remember anymore. Uh, it was a bonkers game. They were down 2-1. Trippier made it 2-2. Then we... What's the crazy order of this game? Let's see. 1-1. <laughs> two, up 2-1. Level. Then down 4-2. And then come back. Okay, got it. I knew they were down two goals at one point. Uh, but just a crazy game. So to get down to two goals was really... A problem. This man right here, Mr. Ross Barkley, completely dominating, <laughs> completely dominating midfield. I don't know how Gimaresh got this 7.8. He was not great. The tracking of runners was a problem. Um, Botman and Cher had a hell of a time. Dan Byrne, poor bastard, just got run past by our man um, uh, Ogbene, just having a hard time he always has a hard time got pulled off had to be pulled off on 64 he seemed to be teetering and he looked like a golem as he was running Trippier showing fight as usual but for Newcastle to give up four goals to Luton is worrying um we've got to believe I was at that game I'm still confused what the hell happened uh thanks Lewis yeah I I got I got confused as to what was going on but it was an amazing amazing game and fun and as, as long as you're not a Newcastle fan, which I know a lot of people are, this was just so much joy because I think we're all deep inside Luton. We love what Luton's doing. I think ultimately there's a lot of goodwill towards Newcastle after the years under Mike Ashley and then the sort of effervescence of last season. There's a lot of joy and a lot of um, stored energy in the bank. And I know that there's some Eddie Howe out things. There's a lot of questions about whether he can be the manager that takes them to the promised land or the next level. And I'm not, I don't know if he's that answer. Uh, I do know that this team plays for him. We saw that. Um, I don't know if he quite understands rotation yet. He's never had to have a Premier League, uh, Champions League campaign or a multiple front campaign yet. So maybe he'll learn that. It would be a shame if he lost his job this season, uh, but I do think next season, depending on how the money portion goes, depending on how the expectations are at the end of the season, depending on how this goes, I feel like he's got to get to Europe. So that sixth spot becomes a real battle. Uh, he's got to kick on and try and push. Right. Yeah, yeah. We only have one fit striker, and he's not 100% ship uh, fit. He lost his job. It's just a pain in the backside with all the industry we had so far of the money. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the, the Tonali thing really hurt the team. I think when you think about depth within a team, it's sometimes just two or three players that can play multiple positions that sort of allow you to rotate the whole thing around. Like, I think, you know, the, that Murphy becomes so important because it allows... Almy run to rotate around and getting Barnes back will allow the front line to rotate around. And I could see them going with a front three of, of um, 
of Anthony, uh, of of Anthony, uh, of 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 Barnes and Almiron and Murphy. They might do that just to sort of let Callum Wilson rest because when he plays, Callum Wilson, he just missed out. He lost his job. Who lost his job? Just missed out. His he lost his job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to get fleeced by an Italian team, I'm shocked that uh, Tonali thing was known. But we'll see what happens. Um, just a lot to do, a lot of consolidation. I think they've you've got to feel good about what's happened with Newcastle. Or if you turned it around, if last season was this season and next season was last season, would it be better? Right. So you finish six, you finish six and consolidate, and then next year they're the top four. So just think of it the other way around. Sort of remove the fact that you had such a good season last season, and sort of think of this as the first season and see how you do next season. I think that's probably a better way to think about it. Uh, you had the great moment with PSG. You had the one-one or the the penalty that never was. Uh, I think you can start to move on from someone like Dan Byrne. You sort of start to move on from Longstaff. Let him go back to the bench. Replace him. Let him be a, a spot starter. But I do think you do need to keep that thing that United had. And I talked about earlier that idea of local lads, guys coming through the academy. I think Miley's a keeper. Uh, probably don't want to play a 16-year-old all the minutes you've had. But I do like what's happening. Uh, and then I'm going to get to Luton. But again. Chris will. Chris has covered Newcastle better than any American should. Just amazing work by him. So please follow the American Jordy. Uh, I think his goal should be: Can he get True Jordy on his show, or can he at least even have a conversation with True Jordy? That would be incredible. Now, my beloved, fighting Gary O'Neills. Can I say how much I love Wolves? Just an amazing four-two against Chelsea today. Spanked them. Could have drawn easily with United. Yes, they had the Albion draw, but before that, they had been flying. Uh, now on zero, they are on a plus-minus of zero. Same as West Ham, better than United. Just the fighting Gary O'Neills are the epitome. They're in tenth with nine wins, nine losses, an even goal difference, and a zero, uh, <laughs> uh, and, a, and a, an even plus-minus and an even goal difference. Just a perfect mid-table fighting team, and they have so many players that are just bringing the ruckus every week. Cunha is incredible. Sarabia, Samedo, Dawson. I mean, Dawson, just incredible. Uh, Saar always puts in a good result. And I think the key thing for them is being able to keep Pedro Neto. The idea that a Champions League-level player, who, albeit, is injury-prone, is playing at Wolves is what makes them able to go. The fact that he keeps getting injured means they get to keep him. If he was healthy, he would not be there. I think Cunha will be the next to go. He's fantastic. They lost Nunez. No Huang, who's in uh, Asia. And they just light these teams up. Just an amazing, amazing performance. Kilman is great. Uh, Ain't Nori is great. This Wolves team and the fighting Gary O'Neills. Is Gary O'Neill the best English manager we've got right now? Yeah. I mean, a lot of great stuff. Yeah, see you later, Lewis. Uh, thanks for stopping by. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just love this Wolves team. Gary O'Neill making a name for himself. There's a lot of good English managers right now. We've got Howe. We've now got Gary O'Neill. We've got uh, Grant Potter. So I think there's a slow growth within English football that we're getting some decent progressive managers. Steve Cooper is out there. 
also a good manager. So a lot of good stuff. Uh, Edwards is is fantastic at Luton, doing an amazing job. We've got good English managers, and I hope that they move up the chain and get better jobs and find landing places that allow them to get into Europe because there's nothing better to learn than to get into Europe. So right now, uh, English teams fighting their way through uh, gaining confidence, growing in English football. I love Gary O'Neill. I love everything about him. I love Wolves. Uh, I love bad football teams. There's so much variety in the way teams play. I think that's the spice of football. We've got these super teams. We've got these amazing uh, sort of smart manager teams. We've got like the Moneyball teams in Brighton and and Brentford. And then we have these kind of like traditional English managers uh, that move on. Now we have to talk about Chelsea. Oh, my God. Chelsea are the opposite end of this. Yes, they had been on a three-game winning streak, uh, beating Palace, who were terrible, beating Luton, but only just, and beating Fulham 1-0. They can take those points in the bank. That's good. But then, these last two games, this loss to Liverpool, fine, away from home, but it's the manner of the performances. This Chelsea to Wolves game, Chelsea were never in this game. They had nothing. They were awful. Uh, Palmer is the only bright spot that ever shows up for Chelsea. But the thing about Palmer is he's a smooth player. He's not a rah-rah player. He gives the perception of uh, of just being in the game and kind of hanging out. You want to see more from Chilwell. Disa C is not good. Petrovic looked petrified on the penalty. Gusto giving it up. Just this defense is just it's just bad. And then we have Caicedo making mistakes, getting yanked. Gallagher always shows energy, but is it controlled? Is he doing anything? And then Wolves just kicking their ass. I mean, every single time. Poor Thiago Silva in a two. It doesn't work in a two because freaking Neto went right past him, got in front of him from a, from behind him. It's just incredible that they're relying on a 38-year-old. Nico Jackson missed a header from up close. I don't know what Mikhailo Meldrich does. We, we have, There's nothing to see for this team. It doesn't function. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think something with Pochettino is a problem. Sorry. I don't think it's Pochettino's problem. Uh, I think this, again, this club is a shell of itself. It looks like it's Chelsea. It smells like Chelsea. But everything about the infrastructure and institution of Chelsea has been gutted. Think of this team as starting from zero. That's what Bowley bought. He bought an empty club that had a manager who was holding the team together with the players it had. And then you had an inexperienced board who were never together, didn't understand anything about the club, and they just went wild and made all the mistakes that new owners make. We have this happen in American sports all the time. A new owner comes in and makes mistakes. It happens all the time. You think you can translate skills from one place to another, but each sport... Each institution has its own unique things. You can't even bring skills from one country to another sometimes. English football is unique. Chelsea is unique. Out the door with Czech and Buck and Graniskaya and Abramovich went the culture of Chelsea, plus the scandal with the marketing manager who was abusive and the whole thing collapsed. The war in Ukraine 
and the subsequent sale of the club away from Roman Ivanovich destroyed the Chelsea we all know. When I hear pundits talk about Chelsea being this club that fires managers, they're assuming that there's a continuity. There is no continuity. Assume that Chelsea are a Phoenix club that disappeared and came back. This is a completely new club. And what Pochettino has to do that's really hard is create something out of nothing. And unfortunately, he's been given a side that was pieced together from nothing, that has no connection to the club. It's all players brought in. You've got to have the through line. What have I been talking about with United? You have to have players that play for the club that have gone through the whole thing with it. You have to have institutional connectivity that makes Chelsea Chelsea. Right now, the fans are watching the games and they see Pochettino and they think he has nothing because there's no sinews of continuity that make Chelsea Chelsea. So they're going out there, they're playing, they're trying to connect, but no one feels Chelsea in their bones aside from, you know, our friend Mr. Gallagher who's trying to run around and do things. And Caicedo has no connection to the club. It's not mercenary. I don't think the players are bad or evil or bad people. And it will take time for there to be connectivity between the board, the manager, the players, and then the supporters. Right now, there's a lot of breaks in that line. And it's not working. It's not working. Okay. It's not working. Let's keep going. I'm already on an hour. When you try and do every club, <laughs> it really is a lot, especially when you spend uh, time on each club. But I don't mind. I'll just keep going. I feel really good about what I'm up to. Okay, well, we're on to Chelsea, on to Bournemouth, who have stumbled a little bit. Uh, two draws, one against West Ham and one against Nottingham Forest. We love what um, Andoni Iriola is doing. Uh, this team is going to be fine. We already know they're going to be in the league next season. They get an early goal. They don't get the win. They have a player sent off. Please just keep an eye on Solanke. He's got 14 goals. He's the number one English goal scorer. Keep that in mind. Good team. Still going. Feeling good there. This is my, like, these teams are safe group. Uh, I still think Fulham is safe as much as they uh, had some weird results. The draw against Everton felt okay. But this draw against Burnley, uh, they give up two second-half goals uh, and just yak this game. They're up by, by Pondilina and, and Fofana, Datro Fofana, coming over from Chelsea, a, a striker who scores goals, and they lend them to Burnley, and he scores two goals. Maybe it's not Chelsea. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's not the players. Maybe it's Chelsea. But uh, the fighting companies get a point. That could mean something, but realistically... Burnley are going down along with Sheffield United. But Fulham will be here next season. Uh, they did get um, Broya in the transfer window from Chelsea. I don't know why Chelsea is selling strikers. That seems weird to me, <laughs> but they did. Palace stumbling. The wins against Brentford, the win against Sheffield United was needed, the 3-2. But it took two amazing goals from Eze and Elise, and then Elise went off. As they not playing, then in their local rival game, they get the doors blown off them by Brighton and Hove Albion, and there was nothing coming from Palace. Roy Hodgson is going to get fired. You can't have nothing. He also is in deep shit for bringing Elysee on after he's got a bad hammy to only have him come off nine minutes later. 
just poor management, poor understanding of where your players are. And then we see from Brighton, Fatih, Lalana, just good players coming on. And I think if you're a Crystal Palace fan, you look at Brighton and Hove Albion and you go, we came up together. They don't have any more money or less money than we do. Sure, they have a new stadium, but we've got investment. Why can't we be where they are? And I think they're in this cycle where they try and find a progressive manager. It doesn't work. They go back to Roy. They try and find a progressive manager. It works for a little while. They get scared. They're going to go down. They go back to Roy. They're going to have to go through that cycle again. Um, but will they be able to hold on to Eze and Elise is the next step. Why aren't they developing more young players? Where's their Ferguson? Where's their Hinchelwood? Where's their Billy Gilmore? Where's their veterans like Gross uh, and Lewis Dunk? Uh, they have Gahey which, and, and Anderson, which I think is a good pairing. Mitchell's a good player, but they've got to show more. They've got to grow. They've got to progress. And I think from Crystal Phallus's perspective, they're like, yeah, it was nice that Roy saved us, but why did we bring him back? Like, where are you going? Again, this is another one of those things like I talked about earlier in the show. Where is your team going? How do you progress? What's the next step? For Palace, they are the ultimate mediocrity club. They're just sitting where they are, and they're kind of in trouble. <clears throat> going to Brentford, they're taking a step back. I think not having Tony and having a lot of injuries, they did get a big win against Forrest that they needed when Tony came back with Foamgate and then losing to Spurs. Uh, hurtful, but... Losing at home away to Spurs is not the end of the world. But key thing is they're scoring goals, Mope and Tony. I think that ultimately <clears throat> Brentford will be good. Uh, they do have a tough game against City, so that game's tomorrow. But, you know, they're not going to get relegated, I don't think. But, you know, it's getting – it's you're in the stink zone down here. Uh, but having Tony is like – Goals, goals are at a commodity. You've got to find your goals. They're still one of the better defenses in this lower team group, and they'll be able to kick on. Luton. What can we say about Luton? What can we say about Luton? Getting points in four of their last five, their loss being to Chelsea, beating, beating who they need to beat in Sheffield, getting a massive draw against Burnley, beating Brighton at home, and then this amazing, amazing draw against Newcastle. Rob Edwards, what can I say about this man? This team is flipping fantastic. Fantastic. Adebayo, what a man. What a monster. What a goal scorer. 26 years old. They bought him for less than a million dollars. What a player. Morris never stops working. This dude, Doherty and Barkley, are unreal. Barkley is the best signing in the league. How does a team like West, like Newcastle not try and find him? How do these teams let talented players disappear? How bad could he be that he's able to be uh, available to someone like Luton? And then even Andres Townsend, who gave them really good minutes for a while. Kamensky is the best bottom, best bottom of the division goalkeeper. Just an amazing, amazing game. And they can feel good about... The momentum they're on, the fight that they have, the way they're moving forward. And with a team like Luton, you have the variety that makes English football English. This, Luton, is what I mean when I say Englishness. 4-4-2, put the ball long, up to a big man, crosses from the wing, 
onto a striker. This is the essence, the strength, the wisdom of 150 years of football embodied in Luton. A small ground, a working class neighborhood, the Hatters, all of it and success. That key piece, it's working. And the fact that they can do this on a shoestring budget after being in League Two 10 years ago and being on the verge of staying in the division, Luton are a team that any team should root for, any supporter. Just a fantastic, fantastic club, and you should not stay away from them. They're the best. They're fantastic. And Ponzu has gone through every level with this team. Every level with this team. And this player, Doherty, if you need a winger, he's your man. Go get him. He's fantastic. What a crosser of the ball. You want a player to cross a ball, you go get yourself, Doherty. What a man. What a player. Uh, I think they'll stay up. The question is, who's going down? I think we all know Burnley and Sheffield are going down on 13 and 10. We have to talk about the three draws that Everton has gotten. Really good draw against Spurs. They showed fight, spirit, Englishness, dicheyness, never say die. But they have a 10-point deduction. So they really should be here, right? They really should be up here. But they are going to be in that space. Hopefully they get the reduction brought down. So the relegation zone is going to be, it's going to be Brentford, Not Nottingham Forest, Crystal Palace. It's going to be this group. Uh, I think we feel good that Burnley and, and Sheffield are going down. I don't even I don't even want to talk about them. Uh, I've talked about Sheffield already. This team's terrible. No one tried to save them. Uh, I think uh, Chris Wilder talking about the refs and going nuts. I'm getting tired. I'm over an hour. I'm going to end the show right here, right now. I hope you guys enjoyed all of the show. I had fun doing it, but I'm getting tired, and I've been on for over an hour. Okay, here we go. Okay, folks, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the Premier League wing of the Football Tonight YouTube channel and presented exclusively by the Football Tonight podcast that Chris will be on tomorrow with. Uh, we record on Sundays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. It means everything to us, and I hope you enjoyed it because I did. Shout out to all friends who listened this far, and shout out to Lewis. Shout out to Angela. Shout out to Tony. Shout out to everyone. Good afternoon. Armchair Sports, definitely the best game today.